Hello and welcome to episode number 299. And even my math skills tells us that makes us one short of 300. That's uh, a hell of an accomplishment. And uh, congratulations to Chris. And uh, 300, uh, we were hoping to uh, have a big time guest, but uh, our big time guest is on holidays. So we'll make it a special 300 and something episode, but we will get this guest on. But 300 is still going to be special because... To get to 300 has been uh, quite an accomplishment, and uh, I think that we should be celebrating that for sure. But on this 299th episode of the program, I want to talk, and I wanted to get into this as Chris and I were talking about the uh, the big, obviously the big ticket item this Sunday, which is the playing of Super Bowl 53 from Atlanta. But I want to start this 299th episode of the program talking about Pro Bowl and All-Star Games. And I know we've got a ton of stuff to talk about, and we'll get to it, I promise. We've got some news in the NBA. We've got some news in the, uh, obviously, in the National Hockey League. Um, we've got some congratulations that are due to some people that have been given the highest award that they can they can receive from the game of hockey in the country of Canada. Uh, so we'll get to that. But I want to start with this because it's topical right now. And it's topical because... I saw, well, for about eight minutes was all I could handle of the AFC, what they call the AFC-NFC Pro Bowl game on Sunday from Orlando. And it was played in the middle of a downpour and all this other stuff. But I think that the respective collective bargaining agreements of all four of the big four, meaning football, basketball, hockey, and baseball, need to revisit their ideas of all-star games. Um, I just think that... Um, and I and I start with the National Football League because that seems to be the one that has garnered the most discussion about canceling it. Um, and again, a perfect example was this weekend in Orlando. I don't know what the hell the name of the stadium is now. They've changed it about nine times. But um, I was appalled that you've got the best players, minus the ones that are, of course, in the Super Bowl, minus those two teams, but you've got 30 other teams representing, being represented by their best players at this game, and the stands were about a half to a third full. It was a joke. Um, I would imagine that the television numbers, the Nielsen ratings for that game were going to be putrid. It was I, Like I said, I made it eight minutes and I had to go watch, I don't know, old reruns of Barney Miller, the Jeffersons or something before I'd continue watching the Pro Bowl. It was just a joke. Um, but I think that there does need to be some real discussion among these big four and their commissioners and the players associations of these respective leagues. Because playing these games, I think if we're really truly concerned in this day about player safety, why would you make these players go out and play in these meaningless games and potentially get hurt and then really, really handicap the teams that are paying their their salaries during the regular season. You handicap them without having these best players accessible to use once the regular season heart starts. And I know we've got, a what, eight months or whatever until we get back into training camp back in July, but if you tear an ACL or you tear an Achilles or something like that, that's potentially a year-long recovery. And I would personally hate to see our only representative for the Packers in this worthless game in Orlando this weekend was wide receiver Devontae Adams. And they had a big write-up on Monday morning uh, 
in both the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and the Green Bay Press-Gazette saying that the best thing that happened this week for the Packers at the Pro Bowl game, Devontae Adams didn't get hurt. Not about who won the game, not if Devontae Adams made a contribution, he did get hurt. It seems ridiculous to me, folks, that we're... We don't seem as a society to give a damn, especially about the NFL uh, All-Star game, the Pro Bowl game. Now, it seemed to be a great weekend in San Jose for the National Hockey League, and I loved the skills competition. I really enjoyed that. I enjoy the NBA version coming up in a couple of weeks of the All-Star game where they have that three-point shooting contest and they have the the skills competition, and of course it's all uh, highlighted by the, the dunk competition. I enjoy that. The game, don't care, because it isn't basketball. It's a glorified pickup game played on maybe the streets of Harlem in New York, and they sit there, and they just sit there, and they lob the ball up to each other, and it just becomes one big lob fest. That's not basketball. Baseball, I've had a problem with the baseball mid-summer classic since Bud Selig canceled it in the 11th inning back in 2002. I think that was a joke. And I even take it one step further. They tried, but I thought it was stupid when baseball implemented the winner of the All-Star game gets home field advantage of the World Series. Oh, go fuck yourself. That is so stupid. But at least they were trying. I get it, but it's still stupid. It's still stupid. I'm sorry. It's still stupid. Um, I think, again, not to sound repetitive, but I think there needs to be some discussion with the with the obviously the leadership, meaning the commissioners of each of those respective four big four leagues and the player representatives and the players association need to get in a room and hammer something out. I suggest that we acknowledge them as pro bowlers or we acknowledge them as all-stars. We give them their bonuses because they were good enough to be named to these teams, give them a little participation medal, have a big banquet or something. But I think not only for the integrity of the game, but for the safety of the players playing the games, because my God, these are big ticket money items that are playing on the ice or on the courts or on the fields. And my God, you'd feel sick if you lost your star player in a pickup game. I'd be sick about that. You know, um, I just think that there needs to be some discussion because I would bet, oh, I bet, it, I bet my last quarter in the last episode. So I'm down to my last dime. I bet my last dime that the television revenue numbers, which drive sports, folks, I don't care what anybody says, television or what they call the Nielsen ratings, drive professional sports. And I will bet that the numbers for All-Star or Pro Bowl games, maybe not in hockey, because I, I was generally excited to see what happened in San Jose this weekend, but again, more excited for the skills competition. But I think that we need to take a look at the long-term feasibility of having an actual game that means absolutely jack fuck all i appreciate what you're saying and of course with football the risk of injury is higher than certainly in the other big four i'm really surprised that football hasn't implemented a all-star weekend and an all-star skills competition like all the other sports oh they did this year they had some skills competition oh and it was so well marketed but they didn't didn't, exactly they didn't even televise it yeah oh they didn't televise it no then it doesn't count then wasn't on TV, it definitely doesn't count. So, if I can't see it, it doesn't count. I always remember that, uh, you know, this is actually the 30th 
uh, all-star weekend of the NHL. Cause I always remember I had this, oh, yeah. I had this tape called dynamite on ice. One of those old VHS tapes you could buy from KTEL or whatever. I still remember. I watched that thing so many times and it was about the 89, 90 season, of course, uh, won by the Edmonton Oilers. And, uh, it had, uh, all, all sorts of really, really cool segments. But I, I just always remember the guy saying, uh, this year, the NHL decided to change the all-star game to an all-star weekend. And uh, so that was, yeah, so this is, that means this was the 30th NHL All-Star Weekend. Everyone, you, you don't have to be a hockey fan at all to know about the hardest shot competition or uh, I, the passing now. Did you see yep. this year, our buddy Drysaddle yep. won the passing this year. McDavid, of course, fastest skater, right. third year in a row. No one's Johnny ever... Goudreau, that's our boy. Yeah. Johnny Goudreau won that little, uh, oh, well, whatever. whatever, when he was doing the... Well, thing. if he's so little and fast, why doesn't he beat Connor <laughs> at skating is what I want to know, right? So... Anyway, but only one second behind Connor was uh, Kendall Coyne Schofield, yeah. the yeah. the female uh, gold medalist for the and that was that was wonderful to see. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I won't. I'll shut up. But I got to say, I was very proud and, and and happy to announce that the National Hockey League is going to pay her twenty five thousand dollars for participating. Oh wow! And I'm very happy for her. That's good really her. cool. Yeah, good for her. That's great. And I mean, to no surprise of mine, I mean, when she did really well, she goes over and all the guys were smiling and laughing. They're all, you know, yeah. fist pounding and everything, and they're just, yeah, everyone's super happy for her, and it was awesome. And um, I see the thing is, traditionally, it's all right. We're getting off, but this is un- who cares? It's, it's unscripted, unscripted, of course. So I was, I was thinking about it a lot because it was neat to see her there. And then even, you know, WWE likes to play off this stuff. So what they did is on at the Royal Rumble. Now, they, ever since last year, they've had a, a female Royal Rumble and a men's Royal Rumble. So the Royal Rumble is an annual match where you have 30 people come in, like they draw numbers and every minute and a half, a new person comes in and it's an over-the-top rope battle royal. And so it's fun because you have the countdown clock and everyone counts down and all that. And, but anyway, so this year, and they've done this uh, version of this before, but number 30 for the men was actually a woman. It was uh, The Rock's cousin, who's uh, Nia Jax. She's like 270 pounds. Like she's a, you know, she's tall and she's big and she can get in there and look like she's going to beat up the guys, you know? And so she got in there and, and they, I, I think it was kind of a, uh, sort of a tip of the cap to like the NHL allowing oh. her in. I think it was kind of a way to work that in and, and show that women are getting to compete with the men too. With the hockey, uh, other than say Manon Rayom, the the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning goalie oh from the nineties, good one, dude. I remember her, yeah. yeah. So, you know, so I mean, and never thought, well, okay, yeah, a woman could play, Manon yeah, uh, hey, a, a woman could play goalie because she's not gonna whatever. But the thing was, hockey was always such a rough sport. It was like, well, we don't want to have men and women like fighting and punching each other in the face and like some guy like just hitting a woman as hard as he can. Like you don't want that, but. It's weird because then na- it's the National Football League, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, or the SEC. Yeah, special guest referee Ray Rice. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so but you know the thing is the NHL is so. I'm not even trying to be critical, really, but it's just. I mean, I love that it's even in the last few years, it's it's really become all about the speed now, the speed and the finesse. And you don't have the old guys always hooking and holding and cheap shotting and you don't have as much of that. And it's almost looking like the game is going to get to a point where it really is just, you know, fast guys, finesse, and they're in very little hitting, punching, fighting, anything like that. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then there's no reason you couldn't have women in. So it's, it's interesting. Like, I'd love to see women be able to. That's really cool. But, but you know, you don't, you couldn't make the the game, you couldn't mess up the competitive balance of the game where you could body check some people and not others. Yeah, you know, that that doesn't work. That yeah. just throws, that makes everything too awkward. So 
you know, it's 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 interesting where it's going to go because if the game stays how it used to be in any way, it's really tough. I it, it, I can't really picture you know just you know hitting a woman as hard as you can into the board. That's that's not good. <laughs> I know we're getting off topic, but again, it's unscripted, so I don't care. Um, would you be in the pro or con side? Now I know this is never going to happen because the owners would not allow it to happen because they'd be giving up too much prime seats in their arenas if they were to put the NHL ice size as big as it is at the international level. Now, I know that'll never happen because you've got too many mm-hmm, NHL mm-hmm, hockey mm-hmm. that would not want to give up yeah, yeah, those yeah. extra rows of prime seating. You know, the Jimmy Haslam's of the National Hockey League couldn't see or couldn't ever allow that to happen. But that's one of the things that I always enjoyed about international competition was the bigger ice surfaces and let these guys really go to town. And I wondered, a guy like Connor McDavid, a guy like half of the team of the Tampa Bay Lightning, how they would thrive and survive on an international hockey ice, you know, size on a nightly basis. I think that would be intriguing to watch night in and night out, especially in overtime if they went four on four on an international three on three on an international (laughs) on an international ice surface would be so cool i would love that yeah that'd be interesting but and that's sort of that's sort of actually that idea sort of plays into the point i was originally going to make here which i'll make now which is if you look at the other sports besides football you've got uh you've got appealing things about all-star weekend mostly with the skills competition Mm -hmm. so i actually want to make a a point twofold everyone knows the home run derby you don't have to like baseball at all you might watch the home run derby you might watch the hardest shot you might watch the slam dunk competition or the three-point shooting competition but football's missing two things here i think I, i think they're missing the boat twice number one they should definitely have a televised popular skills competition you could make it quarterbacks throwing a football through a tire. Like, I mean, you could make it anything, right? And there's so many great things you could do. I mean, the NFL has, ironically, by far the most famous combine out of any of the sports, but yet they have the least popular and untelevised, apparently, skills competition. That doesn't make any sense. Have the have the things from the combine if you have to, right? Show how these guys are getting older and they're as, <laughs> as good as the young sharp guys and the college guys can feel all good about themselves as they're coming up the ranks. But the other thing that I think would be interesting, I think you have to take a page out of what these other sports are doing and, and try to do something. Take something like your big eye suggestion. Take something like how the NHL has worked in the shootout and three-on-three overtime to make things more exciting. What if, the thing is, like Dion Sanders was even saying on Twitter, you know, it didn't used to be a joke, but now it is. What if you did something, so it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be a perfect football game, 11 on 11 or anything. Like, what if you actually did something different and it motivated the guys? Let's say you had something, and there'd be a lot of different versions of this, but let's say you had something where you just have an all-star quarterback standing by himself, and then he's got two wide receivers, and then the other side, he's looking at two cornerbacks, man-to-man coverage on each one. And you just, you do something where, and it could be part of the skills competition, you could factor this into the game somehow, whatever, but you do something where, um, you know, he just, he just stands there, okay, hut, and then he, and he throws to whichever one's open, and you have this one-on-one competition, and you have Antonio Brown against Patrick Peterson, and you have it almost like a bracket, and it's like, okay, you guys are matched up, who's better? 
you think Patrick Peterson's just going to roll over and just not really try? And then like, oh, uh, Antonio Brown beat you seven nothing. Like, uh, wow, he's way better. Like, they're not going to they're not going to be okay with that. Their so, pride will step in the way. Absolutely. And so here, it's too easy with a game of one hand touch or whatever they're playing at the Pro Bowl to uh, it's too easy to kind of fall through the cracks and like oh they won't really notice if I kind of dog it here but uh, if you if you call them out oh no this isn't just a game this is Antonio Brown against Patrick Peterson who's better okay and then you could put some money on the line too okay hold on now we're talking now something we're talking. now we're talking something it doesn't address your problem with potential injuries by any means in fact it makes it worse but uh, I would I would just say because it's football and because it's so dangerous make sure that uh, unlike with Alex Ovechkin in the NHL, uh, allow teams and or players to refuse, which could hurt it. But it does. it's the only real way I, th- I can think of to address your concern with the injuries there. Anyone who wants to play, yeah, make it a big deal and make someone really promoted. Whoever wins that, like who's the best wide receiver and who's the best cornerback. And, you know, try and find something for the other stuff too. But, uh, you know, something something like that. Or even within the game, take a page from three-on-three overtime where you don't have to have 11-on-11. Have two O-linemen and, you know, two defensive linemen and a defensive back and maybe a running back and a couple wide receivers and a couple corners. Whatever. Like, do something with a skeleton crew, lots of room on the field. Make it two-hand touch. Make it flag. Whatever. Like, do something that's going to be interesting. Anything is better than... uh, I'd rather watch... Two end touch that says it's two end touch and is super competitive, or flag that's super competitive. I'd rather watch that than tackle football that's barely tackle football. You know, so I'd rather have them going hard. And I think there's a lot of potential innovations you could make for both an NFL skills competition and an NFL All Star Game, Pro Bowl, whatever. And uh, they're not doing any of it because we are under the failed leadership of Roger Goodell. No question, and we need to. Uh... And again, if you are just joining us, thank you so very much for doing so on this 299th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. And as always, we thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. I want to switch gears going to the National Football League. We've been in the National Football League, but I want to go to the National Hockey League. Um, Again, teams getting back in the swing of things after the All-Star Weekend in San Jose that seemed to be well-received. Um, a lot of good vibes from the this past weekend in San Jose as we get ready for the second half of the National Hockey League season. A um, couple of things to address, though, in the National Hockey League. And first, I want to say that we need to send some congratulations out to some very um, deserving individuals that have been awarded with the highest award I think that you can give to somebody associated with the game of hockey here in the great country of Canada. And that is the, uh, these three uh, individuals were named to the Order of Hockey in Canada recently. I think it was over the weekend, to be honest with you. But congratulations go out to, to current Edmonton Oilers head coach Ken Hitchcock, along with George Kingston and... Now, I know that there are some listeners in unscripted land that would know this, and I'm surprised that I remember this, but go back to the first year that the San Jose Sharks were an organization, and they were playing in a shithole in San Francisco called the Cow Palace. This was before the SAP Center in in, uh, San Jose was constructed. And, And I tell you, folks, the Cow Palace is exactly as it sounds. 
There's a smell in there. It used to be a big exposition thing for livestock back in the day in San Francisco. And if you know anything about San Francisco, you know it's a seven by seven mile island. So there isn't a lot of room. And you've got this livestock contention at this place called the Cow Palace. But at the time when the NHL awarded a franchise to San Jose, they didn't have a place to play. For some reason, they weren't allowed to play at Oracle in Oakland. Um, I don't know the reason, but they ended up for one or two years at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. And the first coach of that San, of that San Jose Sharks team with member Arthur's Urbe in goal, and I remember that because the first game that I ever saw when I spent the year working with a local bunch of idiots here in Calgary uh, trying to indoctrinate them into the way real radio should be done, I spent a year with the Flames and working with the great Peter Marr. It was an unbelievable experience, but the first game that I went to was a San Jose Sharks against the Calgary Flames, and the final score was 13-1 to Calgary. I'll never forget that game. Arthur Urbe was the goalie, and they kept him in there for like the first 11 goals because it was one of those games where it was probably the second of a night of a back-to-back, and they threw him to the wolves. But George Kingston was the first coach of the San Jose Sharks. I remember that like it was yesterday. And along with Ken Hitchcock, George uh, Kingston, and female hockey legend, as I've been told, up there in the rafters with my favorite broadcaster of all time, Cassie Campbell, and with Haley Wickenheiser, Jaina Hefford. They have all been uh, named to the Order of Hockey in Canada. And let me tell you, no jokes aside, folks, that is a great honor. And congratulations to all three of those deserving individuals. No question. Yeah, Gina Hefford was part of that just dynasty, and that's really what it was where the uh, Canadian women, as a lot of people would expect, but, uh, you know, it's easier said than done when you can just dominate all those years. Uh, Jaina Hefford was uh, one of the biggest stars. I would certainly put Haley Wickenheiser number one, but Cassie Campbell was right up there, and so was Jaina Hefford. And those were some, I just remember Jaina Hefford being a, just a fierce competitor. And, uh, you yeah, know, those women were so, so impressive and just, just dominated. I'm pretty sure she was on that team where there was some extremely suspect officiating. And I think in the third period, it was basically uh, Canada shorthanded up by a goal for the entire thing. They killed off like literally eight or nine penalties in a row. There was an American, uh, those goddamn ref, Americans, those goddamn Americans. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty suspect. And I remember Don Cherry just going off oh, on the officiating there and saying like they won and they were, you know, shorthanded for an entire period. It was ludicrous. So, uh, in, amazing. But anyway, so yeah, she definitely deserves it by the way with Don Cherry. And I know I've said this before. I think I saw it on, Rock'em Sock'em 4 from 1992, which I which I owned as well. And uh, just I, I remember when he goes to show his highlights, best of the year of Coach's Corner, the very first clip was just like three seconds long, and it was when they were in San Fran at the Cow Palace, and, and Don doesn't even get the joke. He doesn't sell it at all. He just immediately launched his thing because Ron sets him up with, we're at the Cow Palace. Got any beefs? <laughs> and, and Don just right in the not like no clue what right no clue the excellence of broadcasting he just saw was just a part of no not even aware and uh, he just launched right into it but uh, yeah the, the cow palace by all accounts is a complete piece of shit for sure yeah. and uh, and uh, yeah anyway sorry the uh, besides Jana Hefford the other ones you mentioned uh, George Kingston and Hitch 
Yeah, George Kingston. Yeah, that that would have been a tough slog with um, <laughs> that would have been a tough slog with those early San Jose teams. Those early San Jose teams, San Jose teams were terrible. Yeah, it's not like the uh, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying that the uh, Golden Knights made it because of they were gifted anything. Because frankly, I thought they deserved more. They should have been given no worse than the second overall pick, and they were given fourth. And I thought that was bullshit. And uh, they still made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. And, uh, but, uh, no, it was not as favorable for the Sharks back in the day. I was big into hockey cards at the time. And I remember just like, oh, this is not going to be good for these poor suckers. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, it was brutal. Uh, Ken Hitchcock, what can you say? You know, what is it? Number three all time in wins. And, uh, you know, he, I think he's done very well. He came in and had a team to coach and the Oilers were winning right away with him. And then without half our decor, he hasn't been as good, but, uh, we're getting Oscar Clefbaum and Andre Sekera back soon, so I'm I'm optimistic that uh, he can make up the you know three points out of a playoff spot we were at the break when everyone was talking about doom and gloom and really only a win and a half away. So uh, I I think that if we have a healthy team at all, I think Ken Hitchcock could get us into the playoffs. I'm I'm still optimistic. I do believe in him and I think he's good. And he hasn't been the old curmudgeon I thought. Just the opposite. He's been very smiley, very happy. He looks like he's just happy to be there. And uh, his it's hard to argue with his results. I generally don't like when a coach is known for a button-down style, but uh, whatever he does works, and I, I think he is a good fit for the Oilers. He does need more time, though, and I'll be really interested to see. I hope they give him next year, and he has a full offseason to uh, to really implement his plan and let the guys know what he expects, because it's tough to just come in there, you know, cold. So uh, I, I am optimistic, but uh, yeah, th- three people. Again, I don't know that much about George Kingston, except, man, that what he must have gone through in San Jose would have been horrible. So uh, I, I'm not going to say anything bad about any of those three people. Um, big deal happened um, within the last 24, 48 hours, I think, off the top of my head in the National Hockey League. And it will definitely, I feel, um, certainly, I think probably change a little bit of the landscape, especially in the Eastern Conference playoffs in the upcoming National Hockey League playoffs with the deal that happened just recently between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the LA Kings. Um, obviously, our good friend Ryan would would have uh, some input on that in regard to... Uh, in regard to, I've got some input from Ryan. Oh, good. That, then uh, we'll, well, then we'll add it in regard to his team basically throwing up the, the white hanky, saying we'll see you next year. But the LA Kings have traded defenseman Jake Muzzin uh, to the Toronto Maple Leafs for the Leafs' first round pick in the 2019 draft and a couple of prospects, um, Muzzin and Morgan Riley on the back end for the Maple Leafs are going to look really good playing for coach Mike Babcock. And I think this might be the kick in the pants maybe that Toronto needs. We know what they can do offensively, but now you add this guy to their back end. I think Toronto has a legitimate case now to be one of the better teams moving forward in the Eastern Conference for damn sure. Well, one of them, yes. I still think Tampa is... I didn't say them and, as the best team. Yeah. I said them as one of the yeah, better teams. No, in the and, and they already are. And uh, But yeah, I think Tampa's going to be tough to beat. But for sure, I mean, you can't just say, oh, Tampa's impossible and we can't compete. So yeah, Toronto, it's the, it's the right time to make a move like this. Uh, I think that's a good move for the Leafs. Here's what our Green and Gold Package subscriber and uh, resident number two LA Kings fan had to say, which was... Uh, not sure what to think about it. He's a good D-man. I know they're shedding salary and accumulating young prospects and talent, but I'm not sure if trading your number two defenseman who is fast, smart, skilled, and still young is the best move. 
and Toronto's first round pick will be late this summer so that doesn't mean much either hopefully the prospects are decent but I'd say with that is I appreciate the idea of going for prospects more than extra picks but either way it's it's kind of a long shot and it usually at the very least takes a long time before picks or prospects really pan out or don't and it's it, it's really can be hard lessons learned on the way to seeing if they're going to learn or not it's not like the NFL where you're drafting 22 year olds you're drafting 18 year olds and it's a big difference and it's i mean i want to love the NHL draft but i find the NFL draft a lot more interesting cuz you get some you get to see these guys right away most of the time whereas in the NHL draft other than your Connor McDavid's yeah. and that type of thing where you get to see them right away they spend time down in the minors oh, you or need, AHL or oh whatever. you need most of them unless they're just in top and even some of the top you have top 5 picks you don't see for 5 years it's yeah. it's crazy i mean uh, how do you remember a draft you watched five years ago and like, oh yeah, now I'm really feeling rewarded for watching that draft five years later because this guy's playing on the third line on some team I don't care about. So, you know, it's interesting. But back to the trade here, they had to get at least a first round pick. But like Ryan says, it's later, obviously uh, going to be in the first round, practically a good second round pick at that point is what they could be looking at. I think they should have gotten more here. Two of the prospects, I haven't heard of either one, and one of them is just the rights to him officially. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so I think they could have gotten more. I would have wanted, like, I would have really tried to get a first this year, which they got, and maybe like a second next year or something. Uh, I think they should have gotten more, maybe get a seventh or something. And they're like, get, get as many pieces as you can uh, that are really tangible. I don't know. I just... Something about this feels like they didn't quite get enough. You had to get a first round pick that that was non-negotiable or you don't even make the trade. And it's great they can it's great they can trade to the Eastern Conference, but uh I don't know. I it's it's really looking like the Leafs kind of walked away with this trade and and are going to win it easily. You you'd have to, you know, draft a miracle guy there to to win that, and uh, I, I think that the, uh, the for the Leafs, it's a great trade. I'd be interested in Ryan's take on this, but I'm wondering, I, I, if you know, if we had accessibility right now to Ryan, I'd, be, I'd my first question to him is, do you have the confidence in Messers, Robitaille, and Blake? And after this trade, I would have to think that you're probably wavering a little bit in your confidence of those two. Because... Oh, I know. Th- I know that his answer is no. Okay. And and uh, it, it's kind of the same as what I do is I don't like the former player thing. And exactly. I, That's where I was, where I was yeah. going next. And as an Oiler fan, I can relate as well as anybody. The boys on the bus. And yeah, former players. Oh, you know. And I always say it. The Mitch Hedberg. Like, oh, you're a great chef. Can you farm? You know, like it's, <laughs> it's like no, it doesn't work like that. So. I just, uh, I mean, look, some guys, some guys are really thoughtful and are just made to be coaches or maybe even more than they were players. Don Cherry, you know, Todd McClellan, like there's lots of good examples. Yeah. And then, and there's just really, really, really smart guys. Like Ray Ferraro was a solid NHL player Mm -hmm. for a long time, but he's even more impressive as a broadcaster and as an analyst of the game. He's just got the right mind for it. And you, I mean, there's countless examples where one guy's, someone is clearly meant to be a player and should just shut up and never be on TV or just the opposite. And uh, this is, yeah, Rob Blake, I don't know about what about him, or even Luke Robitaille. I mean, Luke Robitaille, you could almost think the case is well, easily one of the best left wings ever. But I mean, he doesn't seem, neither of them seems like a guy who would translate well to the boardroom to me. Well, and that's the thing that I'm having a problem with, with the boys on the bus thing is that. Yes, these guys had decorated, celebrated careers in the National Hockey League, but have they spent time, you know, working their way up on the management side? And because Rob Blake, 
did so many X amount of numbers when he played for LA and then obviously ended his career with Colorado and Luke Robitaille, his great years in two times that he played in Los Angeles that I know of in his years that he actually won a Stanley Cup as a member of the Detroit Red Wings. But what makes them front office compatible? What makes them the guys that are going to oversee your franchise? You can say what you want about Dean Lombardi. He got fired in San Jose, never won a cup. Once goes down to L.A., wins two cups. And remember, when the Kings and the Blackhawks had that great runs in the early 2010s where one was winning one year and then one would win the next year and one would win the, you know, three uh, three years for the Blackhawks, two for the, for the Kings, everybody was getting bigger and stronger and it looked like football out there for a while. Now, seemingly the game has changed again. We're getting smaller, faster guys and speed seems to be the most, you know, wanted and desired thing that these players have and now you've got a bunch of old aging big guys in chicago and los angeles Mm -hmm. and you see where they are they're Mm -hmm. at the bottom of the western conference standing so you know i just don't understand sometimes you know chris just said it some of the best managers in baseball were catchers some of the best coaches in football were nobodies does anybody know what bill belichick did with his college career, he never played. He's been a coach since whenever. One of the best coaches and the and still the all-time winningest coach in National Football League history was a man by the name of Don Shula. And Don Shula played at a little school in Ohio called Carroll College, but he never made it to the next level. And he paid his dues uh, as an assistant coach in the college ranks and then made it up to the assistant ranks of the pro ranks. And then all of a sudden, he gets a job Similarly to Sean McVay, early his 30s, he coaches the Baltimore uh, Colts and then goes on to greatness coaching the Miami Dolphins. Some of the best guys, whether they're administrators, coaches, whatever, GMs, front office personnel, are guys that were nothing in regard to their own playing careers. And because a guy can shoot a puck or shoot a ball or catch a ball or throw a ball or catch a ball, that doesn't automatically make them front office material. And I think that's a problem with what these owners are put their put their uh, faith in their franchises, and you wonder why they have crappy years. Yeah, and uh, now you can have a great player, uh, you know, become a great. A GM or executive or whatever, but that's that's going to be in the minority, and usually it's going to be somebody really obvious. I mean, Rob Blake was just a big jock, mm-hmm. and Luke Robitaille was a little smooth guy, and neither one just seems to have business savvy. Now you take a look at someone like Steve Eiserman, mm-hmm. who one of the greatest players of all time, right? yep. captained a bunch of different Stanley Cup winning teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't argue with his resume. Uh, our, our Vancouver bureau chief, uh, Sean Dode, has declared that he thinks that Steve Eiserman is one of the top three. And I know I know he's stepped down now, but that he's one of the top three GMs in the NHL. Well, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I know I heard Elliot Friedman, and I think the world of Elliot Friedman with what he, where he finds his information, and he seems to be correct an awful lot. And it was his opinion, and this was on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday during the skills competition. Friedman suggested that the first call that Bob Mickelson makes, Nicholson, excuse me, in Edmonton, is to see if Steve Eiserman is interested in taking over the Oilers organization. So, um, there are certainly some cases of guys that can do it, but then you look at John Elway <laughs> and I hate John Elway, but here's my point. John Elway goes down as one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And yet he can't find a quarterback in Denver. 
where, 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 that, that should be almost a given that a guy that was as good at the position as he is or was should be able to find somebody. And the only quarterback John Elway's ever had in Denver during his years as the head of football operations, he had to sign off the street and bring in Peyton Manning. He hasn't developed his own quarterback yet. And I that's where I think that we kind of are losing perspective here because John Elway can do a lot of things on the football field, but he won a Super Bowl with somebody else's quarterback a couple of years ago and a hell of a defensive coordinator by the name of Wade Phillips. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just because you were able to play the game yourself doesn't mean you can teach others how to be just right. like you whether you're Elway or Gretzky or anybody else. Most people can't do that. My favorite combination is best friends, Bobby Orr and Don Cherry. One, you know, best player ever and terrible coach, and the other one's the opposite. So, uh, you know, it's it, it just the thought that the, the, to be elite at one thing is hard enough and truly world-class or best ever or whatever, that's difficult. It's not even really fair to expect that yeah. you could be elite at two or world-class or best ever at two different things. And certainly not just because you're good at the other thing, just because there's some slight common thread. There's so many differences between any two things. I mean, whether it comes to your teaching style or even just knowing why you do things. If you're only good because of your instinct, how are you supposed to teach that? That's ridiculous, right? If you're just a really smart guy, like if you're Peyton Manning, I could see being really good at teaching the X's and O's. Here's how hard I work. Here's how I study. Here's how much, how many hours I think you should watch game film for. Like that type of stuff, sure. I can, he can teach that because yes, he was a big guy and everything, but he wasn't the fastest guy or anything like that. He he won because of his brain. Right. He, he didn't have the prettiest spiral or anything Correct. like that. He threw yeah. dead quails all the time, right? And so he was he just worked the hardest and he was the smartest mm -hmm. and a lot of the things he did you can teach but if you're just some instinct guy who's just an athlete and just reacting uh you know you can't teach that so there's no point in putting you in that position and it's ridiculous if anybody does we've got to run on this 299th episode of unscripted a lot of good things to talk about still have a couple of episodes to get in the book so we We'll have more things to talk about as we look to finish off this week of programming here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. And as always, I'm always going to continue to do this, folks. I thank you for tuning in and uh, participating in any way, shape, or form. And remember, there's always the nine different social media avenues out there for you to leave a comment, leave a question. And uh, Chris and I have always made it our mandate that if you guys take the time to leave a question, a comment, a statement, uh, bitch, gripe, complaint, we will bring it on air here on Unscripted and certainly discuss about it. And if it's really outrageous, we will make fun of you. There's no question about that. That's why we call it Unscripted. Having said all that, for the executive producer of our little program, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.